0: wonderful thank you thank you have you ever had one of those terrible horrible no good very bad days before I probably had one since then but I remember about a year ago (laughs) I was uh, dealing with some just a really difficult complicated situation very frustrating and um, at the time my wife had to go out of town and so it was just me and the four kids So I shipped them off to Spartanburg to be with my parents. (laughs) The next day I went to get them, and um, while I was up in Greenville, my brother's house, to pick them up, uh, the complicated situation just seemed to get more complex. And so I was on the phone with some folks, and I ended up staying later than I needed to. And so finally, by myself, loaded the four kids in the car and headed back to Columbia. And I came upon 385, which was just in total turmoil. And there was a just bumper to bumper, and I thought, I am never going to make it back to Columbia. So I tried to weave and get around. I'm sure you've tried that before. And I ended up on 85 all the way from Greenville to Spartanburg to catch 26 and then come down to Columbia. So just, just a frustrating time for me, and I was doing it with the best attitude, as you can imagine. And um, so on the way back, the kid, it's late, so the kids are pretty much all fallen asleep and, some, and I, I was on the phone just trying to deal with the situation somewhere around Clinton my daughter woke up screaming and said daddy I've gotta go to the bathroom and I thought what am I gonna do because it's just me the four kids and a little girl you know and so we're driving in the van and so I we're around Clinton I pull off there and uh, at a park at a uh, at a gas station I won't go into details but a lot got wet that day in the parking lot of that gas station and uh, did have a change of clothes, changed her clothes, put her back in, got them to all to go back to sleep, kind of. And somewhere around close to that peak exit, I realized, I'm not going to make it home. I'm going to run out of gas. And it's like, can this get any worse? So I pull off at the peak exit to find out that it can. And uh, I was pulling into the gas pump, and there was a fire truck that was driving down the road. And uh, all of a sudden, evidently, the alert came through, so it flipped on its siren as I'm pulling into the gas pump. Well, I'm already jumpy because of what's going on. And I remember just scared to death, looking to the left to see this fire truck. And at the same time, I swerved that car a little bit. And uh, you know the median that they put those gas pumps on? Well, I go up on it and I'm thinking, I'm gonna cause an explosion. (laughs) Fortunately, they have those yellow cement concrete poles to stop you. Well, my van met that. And uh, I remember I thought, oh my goodness, can it get any worse? And then I hear the tire. (laughs) just went flat. Well at that point I just kind of laughed. I thought, oh man, it can get worse as I'm not going to ask it this time. So have you ever had a bad day? I'll leave it there. You can ask later about what happens. Well today we're going to see what happens when things don't go as planned for people who see themselves as own mission for the Lord. We're going to be looking at Paul and Silas. They've been on the missionary journey. And they end up in the middle of some pretty difficult circumstances. So for the last couple of weeks, we followed as they left from Antioch, across Asia Minor, and then God sends a vision, come over to Macedonia. So Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke travel across the Aegean Sea. And they land on the continent of Europe in modern-day Greece, or what is now modern-day Greece, and they travel up to Philippi. And it's there they begin to proclaim the gospel. And uh, we believe from reading Acts that the first convert on the continent of Europe is Lydia. She responds to the gospel. And then last week we left off where uh, Paul had uh, this little slave girl was following behind him. And uh, she was afflicted by a spirit, so he cast the demon out of her. And it was a miraculous display of God's authority, even over all of the demonic forces. And today that's where we're going to pick up. And although we easily see the positive side of this exorcism, not everybody was happy. You would think that would be a good thing for everybody, but Paul and Silas are about to deal with the fallout from casting the demon out of this young girl Um, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're in Acts 16 verse 19. That's where we stopped last week and uh, we're going to be actually looking at the rest of the chapter through verse 40, but I'm only going to read to you uh, verses 19 through 25. So Acts 16 verses 19 through 25. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas found a way to serve God even in difficult circumstances. And the message for us is that I think God expects for you and I to serve him in spite of the circumstances that we face. So in order to really apply this to our life, we have to ask the question, so what circumstances are you talking about? When exactly do we have to serve him? Well, from this passage of scripture that we're going to study today, we're going to find that we serve God even in tough places and even with difficult people. So we're going to look at the first part of the passage and see what it means to serve God in tough places. When Paul cast the spirit out of this uh, young slave girl, the hope of profit for the owners went away because she was able to tell fortunes. And so that's how they made money off of her. She was slave, so whatever she was able to make, it was, belonged to them and uh whenever the gospel threatens um established or when it uh when it threatens vested interests like economically or financially you are bound to face opposition when the gospel comes face to face and deals with those vested interests that of our back uh, our wallets our bank accounts you're going to face opposition see the owners of this slave girl They were not bothered when Paul was just walking through the city or whenever they were sharing the gospel. But when all of a sudden their ability to profit off of this young slave girl went away, then they felt threatened in that moment. So Paul and Silas, they're both Jews, they are treated at this point as criminals. The scripture describes what happens to Paul and Silas. It says they were seized, they were dragged, it says they uh, stripped them. Then they began to beat them with rods, they struck them, they threw them into prison, and then they put their feet in stocks. Well, I think there's no argument. This is excessive, violent treatment, and it was done without any real trial that took place, and that's a particular issue that will come up later, but it was a case of mob rule, and so in arguing that Paul and Silas should be uh, punished, they didn't bring up the real motive because the motive was he's all of a sudden I've lost the ability to profit off this young slave girl instead they said something totally different verse 20 says these men are throwing our city into confusion being jews and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being romans so the slave owners claim that this is a law and order issue you got to do something about this But in order to sway the authorities and sway the mob, they do what so many people do throughout history. They appeal to this nationalistic uh, sentiments and even anti-Semitic sentiments. They say they're Jews. You know, we mentioned last week that Claudius was uh, emperor of uh, Rome at this time. And uh, 49 AD, he cast the uh, Jews out of Rome. Well, that's about the exact time that Paul is in Philippi, that we're studying in Acts. It's about the exact same year, somewhere within a couple years of this. And they're saying, these guys are Jews. And they're causing a stir here because they're proclaiming customs that are contrary to our um, Roman way of life. Now, it is a valid point. Uh, Paul and Silas did not come on some political mission to stir up strife within the Roman Empire. But they are there as ambassadors for Christ. Their hope is to bring the kingdom of God to bear against the kingdom of this world. And so they've established this little outpost to heaven, this little church in Philippi on this European continent, kind of behind enemy lines, we said last week. And the city is starting to go to turmoil over the arrival of the gospel because things are being challenged. People are changing. And the Roman way of life is all of a sudden kind of teetering. And so the crowd was infuriated, and the magistrates rule. okay, well, let's go ahead, let's punish them. So the magistrates, they would travel with these police officers who carried around, they were called lictors, and they carried around these bundles of rods. They would be tied tightly and have axes sticking out of them. And uh, so it's used in propaganda, especially um, uh, fascist. Benito Mussolini, he used this picture of these rods bound tightly with these axes sticking out. They carried them to show we have power. And then when all of a sudden somebody was punished, they would unwrap those rods and the people would take the rods and they would start beating whoever was being punished. So that's what happened. Everybody had a rod. Everybody's beating Paul and Silas because they're being punished at this moment. Now Paul describes that this was not the first time or the only time, excuse me, this wasn't the only time it happened to him. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, 25, says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Paul really suffered for Jesus. And so here he is getting beaten, and there's no trial. Paul and Silas are um, kind of, they're beaten, and then in verse 23 says they were thrown in jail. And ultimately they're placed in the inner cell, and their feet are put in stocks. This is kind of um, maximum security in the Philippian jail well how do you react when things don't go your way what tends to come out of you when your life gets derailed a little bit or you end up in an uncomfortable situation or things don't go as you planned whenever uh... the tire went flat i did laugh in that moment because i thought it just can't get any worse but i want to tell you uh... before that whenever it was maybe just mildly frustrating i was irritated enough probably taken out of my children probably in my mind thinking things about the drivers that were around me. It doesn't take much for me to get a little bit irritated, you know, walking into a store and there's a hundred checkout lanes and there's 30 people and two lines. And you're thinking, what are we doing? I get a little irritated, you know, driving down the road, the red light turns green and then we just sit there and I'm thinking, what are we doing? Let's get going. It doesn't take much for me to get a little bit grumpy. And I hope that I'm connecting with you because surely somebody else feels like that. When Paul and Silas are beaten, they're arrested, they're placed in stocks, there is no record of cursing. There's not even a record of a lament inside the jail. Now, they were singing, but it was not Folsom Prison Blues. These men had been beaten, and they're bleeding. They can't sleep because they're uncomfortable, and all of a sudden, whispers of prayers start coming out of their mouths. And then songs, not of lament, but of praise, The early Christians were characterized by hope and joy. Now, it wasn't because life was just easy for them. It was because the Holy Spirit took up residence in their lives. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he bears the fruit of joy. And it just comes out. Well, that's what happens to them. Well, what about you today? As a follower of Christ, are you characterized as someone who is hopeful or someone who is filled with joy? What about the Christians that you know around you? Is that the way that we're known? The way that we're recognized? Paul and Silas show that joy could be their state even in the worst of circumstances. See, I believe that there is always a recipe through the word. So that no matter what you're facing, no matter the situation that's in front of you, the circumstances that you're dealing with, that suffering can be turned into appropriate prayers and to songs of praise. Well, I imagine that when our Heavenly Father heard those prayers and those songs, it was probably a sweet sound in his ear. But they were not the only ones listening. Verse 25 says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now these were most likely polytheists, and here's Paul and Silas talking about the one true God, and it probably flew in the face of what they knew or believed the prisoners did, but nonetheless, they're listening. And we find out Paul and Silas are witnessing through song, and they may not even know it. But that's what's happening. In the passage, the first thing that I really notice, though, is that the gospel meets a formidable opponent when it threatens a person economically or financially. The people who own the slave girl, they were appalled. They can't believe it. They've lost their income. But, you know, I think the same thing plays out today. People have a really hard time giving consideration, serious consideration, to a life of following Jesus if it impacts their checkbook or their bank account. They say, huh? You know, and and so the question is, what does it take to follow Jesus? Well, we know it's a free gift, but it's a free gift that'll cost you everything. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And the master said to him, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you know what? He walked away that day. And I wonder how many of us might feel tempted to walk away if the same was said to us. Many people count the cost, and they believe salvation may, if they think it might impact their wallets, they just proceed with caution. Well, in our day, and I would say in particular, probably our corner of the world, people want to follow Jesus, but not too radically, right? They don't want to stand out. They don't want to look like they're doing something too crazy here. So they kind of push back against what might be, Uh, characterized as radical obedience and so they say you know I'll follow Jesus as long as it makes sense but don't nobody get crazy now you know we're just gonna do our thing and just not we don't want it to affect everything about us they don't believe that Jesus should impact their wallet except maybe to make it grow right so they rationalize scriptures about sacrificial giving or biblical stewardship but folks here's the thing we should expect that following Jesus is going to fly in the face of some of our values, and some of our practices, and some of our customs. You know why? Because following Jesus should be starkly different than following the way of the world. It should be so obvious and so clear. So it'll impact you relationally. Following Jesus should impact you emotionally. It should impact you professionally, financially, and even physically. We find out in this passage that suffering is also a part of following Jesus. That's the second thing I noticed. Paul and Silas demonstrate that following Jesus is not a bed of roses. That's not the way it works. We think that if we're following Jesus that he should just lay it out for us plain. So there shouldn't be any complicated things that we have to deal with. Other people are going to have to deal with bad diagnoses. You know, other people are going to have to deal with frustrating circumstances. But not me because I'm trying to follow you, Jesus. But here's the deal. When you are following Jesus, it is always an uphill walk. You can never coast and follow Jesus. You can't do it. Because following Jesus is contrary to the way of the world. and So we always walk uphill. What we can hope for is the wind at our back. But we're always uphill because the Christian life is a climb. That's what it is. So these men are following Jesus. They do a good work. They set this this slave girl free from this demon. And then all of a sudden, what happens? They end up seized, dragged, stripped, beaten, thrown in prison, feet in stocks, all for a good work. Do you think they ever thought, Lord, make this a little easier? You know, we're trying to obey you here. The point I think that we should get is that we do not get to choose our circumstances. I know we'd like to do that. We would like to choose the circumstances of our life. We don't get to. The only thing we get to choose is how we react. Our attitude towards the circumstances of life. In the same way, we do not get to choose the circumstances of what it means when it comes to serving God. We don't get to say, well, I'll serve you here or in this way. We serve God even in tough places. Paul and Silas find themselves on mission in a prison. I know some of you are probably walking here today with some really tough circumstances. And I'm not going to make light of that. I know that you have some things going on in your life that nobody would ever choose to have to go through. You've been abandoned by family. Maybe you've been wrongfully terminated by your job. Or maybe you feel trapped in your job or trapped in a relationship. Your life hasn't gone as you planned. You feel like it's just all been derailed and you're never going to get a break. Well, hear, hear me out on this r- real quick. God knows. God hears. God cares. That's a liturgy for us that we should repeat to ourselves. Because it's, it's easy to lose focus of that when we find ourselves in a difficult place. But God knows. God hears. And God cares you are not alone if you're a child of God it's a truth for us second we look for opportunities to serve God even in tough places you know when we find ourselves suffering for the sake of the gospel we must keep serving him because we don't know ultimately what he's up to you know the Lord may you know there are always people listening right Paul and Silas they had these prisoners listen there are always people watching there are always people listening maybe the Lord has placed you there so that somebody might hear Or somebody might see we don't know what he's up to or maybe he's put you there for to learn something for later or to be able to help somebody along the way that you wouldn't be able to if you didn't have to go through this we serve God no matter the circumstances and then we even serve God when we're with difficult people as Paul and Silas are uh, praying and singing at midnight all of a sudden the Lord does the miraculous let me read the rest of this passage to you Uh, verse uh, 26 and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And he called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Freeing captives is a normal day's work for the Lord. Freeing As a matter of fact, when you read through Acts, it's a fascinating thing because God's the hero. The whole time, God's the hero. So all of a sudden, there's this moment in Acts 5 when the apostles are still in Jerusalem. They're in jail. They're sitting there, and in verse 19, it says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. That's just what he does. In Acts 12, it talks about whenever Peter He's in prison waiting to stand trial before Herod. And Herod must have known this guy's, you know, he's an escape artist. He can get out. Because verse 6, it says, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. God knows how to set prisoners free. And that's more than just physical chains. The Lord sets people free from the chains of addiction, too. He sets people free from the chains of regret. God opens the prison doors for people who are caught in a prison of self-loathing or of loneliness. And he can do it for you. I'm sure some of you today, you think, man, can you really? Some of you joining us by television or through the internet right now and you feel trapped in negative feelings, or maybe in sinful strongholds, God can set you free from that prison. Jesus came to set prisoners free, and that includes you. He pays the price for every sinner. We're all trapped in sin. But on the cross, Jesus took all of our sins, placed them on him, so that we might have forgiveness. And then he gives us the blessing of his righteousness, so we have right standing before God. That's what he provides for us. So Jesus sets the captives free. He does that in Philippi by sending this miraculous earthquake, shakes the doors open, loosens the chains. The jailer wakes up, and he thinks, oh, man, they're all gone. And he'd rather kill himself than face the Roman authorities. So he pulls out a sword. But, of course, he's mistaken. They're there. And I wonder, do you think, I mean, this is where we've got to deal with the humanity of Paul and Silas. Do you think they ever thought, God's done it again? He let the apostles free. Let's go. He let Paul, uh, Peter free. Let's go. You know, and thought to themselves, we can get out. Here he's delivered us again. But God's doing a new thing here. He's going to set a totally different kind of prisoner free in this moment. So he rushes in, and then he says to them um, his question, which is the quintessential question of the ages, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You know the answer to that? The answer is Nothing. don't have to do anything because it's already been done that's what jesus did on the cross you can't earn your way you can't work your way you can't be good enough there's nothing you can do paul and silas say in verse 31 believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household now, this idea of the whole household being saved, that kind of throws people for the loop. They're thinking, okay, so this guy gets saved, and now his whole household is saved, too? Because it says he gets baptized, and then his whole household does, too. And you're thinking, that's kind of crazy. What are we supposed to do with that? You know what? People think the same thing today. They think, well, you know what? I'm a Christian because my parents took me to church. They're Christians. I'm a Christian because my granddaddy was a preacher, you know? Or I'm a Christian because I go to church, or because I was baptized. You cannot inherit salvation and you cannot earn salvation every time it is belief and Paul is showing to this man he's saying this the the offer is to you and your whole household you can be saved they can be saved all you have to do is believe we all come to God on the same terms so his household was invited to respond along with him they all are baptized believers baptism and if Paul and Silas could have made a list of who they were going to witness to I'm not sure they would have put the jailer at the top of their list. Do you? I mean, they're human. I'm sure they had a little bit of animosity towards their captors here. But as children of God, we are called to serve him even with difficult people. We all know what it's like. Some of you have difficult family members or neighbors or co-workers, classmates, and you think, oh, they're too far gone. They would never be interested in coming to church. They would never be interested in the scriptures Or learning how to become a Christian. They're they're way too far gone. You know, Paul was that guy once upon a time, right? We looked at that just a couple weeks ago. And so he knew he had no problem sharing his faith with this jailer. Because he thought, you never know what the Lord might be up to. See, we don't get to say who we'll minister to. We can't say, I'll minister to these people. Or I'll love those people. We don't get to do that. We're called to love and forgive one another. Jesus even calls us to love our enemies. And the most loving thing you can do is introduce them to Jesus. So there's immediate evidence that this guy has responded to the gospel. It says that he takes them out, he washes their wounds, he brings them into their house, his house, he puts food in front of them. Is that what a jailer does to captors? No. This is what somebody does for their brother. And so this jailer sees these men as his brother. Pretty radical if you ask me. And it's not just hospitality that we find in that house. We find a party. In verse 34, it says, He brought them into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced greatly. You know, joy is a theme in the city of Philippi. You know, whenever Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, it's like joy. It's every page. He's just talking about joy. He's done the same thing here. Luke tells us they were rejoicing greatly in Philippi. So it must have started way back then. Why do we let the secular world get a corner on joy i don't know why we do that the christian life should be permeated with joy it should be characterized as a life of joy if you are having a tough time smiling or if you just have a hard time not scowling you're missing out on the christian life following jesus is a constant factory of joy it's producing joy in us you ought to enjoy the lord you ought to enjoy the things of god and being with other believers so let me make a comment though about our world. This world needs Christians who are joyful. I know you got all kinds of things to whine about. I know there are so many things that are just so difficult that you can say, ah, here we go again. Uh, Even right now, people in our own state, people in North Carolina dealing with the effects of that hurricane, right now TV viewers, who are dealing with the frustration of the flood in their home, and it's difficult. They need Christians who are joyful in their life. Heard about the uh, tsunami that hit uh, Indonesia yesterday? Right before I came in here, I looked at the uh, death count is up to over 800. And you think, man, and they didn't see it coming. Christians need to bring joy. Look at our country. It is so polarized. People are just split. They have a hard time having joy. And then we have social media that is so much easier to find uh, enmity than kindness, you know. And we think this world needs, and then you bring college football into it. Some of you walked in here with a smile today, and you're kind of looking at us, because I feel a little black and blue today is the way I feel. But a great way to live on mission is to be joyful. God expects you to serve him in spite of your circumstances. doesn't matter if you're in the prison or if you're in front of the jailer. Whatever your state, you are to find yourself, you're to be um, on mission with him. The last six verses of the chapter show that uh, the uh, magistrate sent word to have Paul and Silas released. The jailer says, you get to go free. And listen to what Paul says, verse 37. But Paul said, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. I think some people have a hard time with Paul because of verses like that they think man he is so full of himself. so why didn't he just go he got stick ticket out you know y'all but this is strategic he has a reason to do this because paul is about to leave philippi this little fledgling church is going to be there and if he leaves on these terms and everybody's going to think yeah that's criminal activity over there he needs the record set straight he needs a public apology so that the reputation of the church can stay intact and that's what he gets Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke, they go to encourage the church in the house of Lydia, and then they head it out on the rest of their mission. We're going to be looking at that next week as they go, but here's the point. We serve God even in tough places and even with difficult people. Today, if you are a Christ follower, are you willing to serve him no matter the circumstances? You might find yourself questioning where you're working or living or, or studying, but God has a mission for you. You might find yourself with people that you have a hard time getting along with. But God may be up to something there. The book of Esther tells an incredible story about a woman who's in the worst of circumstances around some of the worst people. And the resounding message of the book is, Esther, maybe you're here specifically because of this. Well, child of God, could it be that God has placed you here strategically for a reason and for a purpose? If you're not a child of God and you're a seeker today, Could it be you're here today so that the Holy Spirit might open your heart just like he did Lydia? Don't miss that. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Our Father in God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live it. Help us to live it. God, I know that there are responses that we need to make. Some of us need to say, you're right. I need to live on mission, even in the middle of where I find myself. Some people need to respond to the gospel Some people may be joining the church or some other commitment. Lord, I pray that you would bless us now as we move into our invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have an opportunity to respond. If God's speaking to you, today would you make a commitment? Some of you may need to just join our church. We'll be down here waiting on you. Some of you need to make a response to the gospel. I'd love to share with you. You stand. Our choir will sing. You respond. together and just connect and be with women of all ages, and we are going to do a service project, worship, and I will be sharing a little bit of my faith story. Another thing I'm very excited about is the opportunities to be in the women's ministry, and I would love for you to come and hear what it's all about. So please join us. We've saved you a seat for October 13th.
1: We are uh, fortunate today to introduce new members to you, and uh, you'll notice that they are quite a bit younger than, say, me or even the pastor. Uh, so, <laughs> it speak for myself. Okay. Yep. Come, come on. I'm sorry. First of all, we have Madison Peak uh, with her family, Josh, and well, Josh not here, but Katie Peak. She's in the fifth grade girls. And Jordan Bauman with Casey and uh, Jordan and Rudy Bauman. Oh well, just with her dad there. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. And we've got Harris Haywood with uh, the parents uh, Richie and Megan. And Tallulah Williams with Jerry Williams, her dad. Oops, come back, Tallulah. <laughs> right over there. And we've got Ethan and Eli Reekers with uh, mom and dad, Tim and Jamie. Had to make sure that <laughs> both of you were here. And Perry Corley with Jamie and Willette, his parents. Perry's gotten bigger than mom. Keep coming up. And then we've got Emery and Madeline Dupree with their mom, Jill, and dad, Dan. the juggling is because we've got different years on the bricks <laughs> and so we're trying to get them right. Katie Johnson. Oh, we got to pardon me. And then we've got uh, Tegan Watts and Ash- Ashlyn Watts. Uh, And Mackenzie Kerner with Ken and Bridget. And Madeline Brumgart with Tina, her mom. Oh, and Tom, I'm sorry, you got the whole gang. <laughs> And then we've got Anderson and Campbell Stutz with mom and dad, Jonathan and April, and little brothers uh, supervising. And we've got Katie and Lizzie Weingartner with uh, Mike and Jill and little brother Nate. Yeah, okay, I got the grin there. Then we've got DJ and Anna Mills Cox. Anna Mills is uh, short enough that she fit right in with the group, so we just uh, did that.
0: Thank you, and we're so glad to have y'all and uh, members of our church. Now, some of them, they joined a while back, but we've just put this off. So I'm glad y'all finally got to get your bricks. Now, don't throw them on your way out, but we're glad you have them. Um, I'm thrilled that you're here, and uh, we do have some announcements in there for you, that, things that you can pay attention to that are coming up, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand, and I'll pray our benediction, and we'll be dismissed. Father, uh, what a great privilege